Today on Stick to Football, we are breaking down the weekend to come. A little bit of news and notes, college football weekend previews and picks. Also, our top five people that we would impeach from sports. We're sticking to sports today. We're sticking to football. Mello will be joining us shortly, running a little late from the day job. Connor and I, you can see us on YouTube right now, Bleacher Reports channel. Follow the Stick to Football playlist. What up, man? I like that camo hoodie. You look good. Uh, thanks, buddy. What's going on? Uh, it's a lovely day. I do want to tell people, we are coming up very closely. Uh, the Kansas City Chiefs tailgate It's for Sunday night football. Colts at Chiefs. This is going to be a fantastic game. The tailgate will start at 3 p.m. in Lot J. So if you come in Gate 7, Lot J is right there. I would recommend buying your parking pass ahead of time because they're very expensive if you don't. But Operation Barbecue Relief will be there cooking up food. We're going to be doing the podcast. There's going to be a DJ. There's going to be it's basically like a petting zoo for adults. It's just going to be a good time. So come out. I'm sure we'll have some natties and some boulevards because we're in KC. Yeah, it looked absolutely crazy on opening weekend out in Kansas City. I saw people lined up and it's pitch black outside. Like how yes. how early do they open the gates before the game? Five hours, six so, hours? Five hours, but the cool thing about where Arrowhead and Kaufman are, you get off the interstate and you're kind of secluded. So what uh, we have done, what a lot of our friends will do in those situations is just go get in line for the gates. Go ahead and throw it and park. Turn the car off. You got a cooler in the back and you can just have some beers while you wait for That's the perfect. gate to open. So you're tailgating before you're tailgating. It's one of the beautiful things about Kansas City. We do have some news actually happening around the league right now. Um, we have Derek King, whose dad uh, came out this week and said uh, he's transferring. He's going to leave. He's going to transfer. And then Derek said, uh, no, I'm not actually going to transfer. <laughs> and Connor, you just asked me before the show, like, so wait, what What did happen with this? Uh, so Derek King has decided to take advantage of a loophole of a rule, basically. And he is going to redshirt this year because he has appeared in four games or less. So he can redshirt and maintain one year of eligibility. Now, the crazy thing is he can do this and transfer still. He's basically said he won't, but he could if he does not like where things are headed with Dana Holgerson. And and Houston has struggled this year, so it'll be interesting to see what King does. Uh, he was not the only one. Their best receiver, um, Keith Corbin, actually is doing the same thing. Both players are going to redshirt. Yeah, so this kind of preserves, obviously, how long. Not only that they could stay at Houston, but their college football career. So I don't think all the wild rumors of him leaving yet are completely gone, especially I know the Oklahoma one was kind of hot. Now that, at the same time, Matt, I think they're okay at quarterback even after Jalen Hurts. So it was a little weird, but of course Lincoln Riley has talked up De'Ara King before. I, I think his dad made this very confusing right off the top. Parents out there, yeah. you don't always need to speak for your kids, especially when they're an athlete. But I think at the end of the day, this is where it's been solved. He will redshirt. Uh, maybe you know there'll be a little bit more comfort. It's not on him that Houston has had an up and down start in the Dana Holgerson era. It's a team thing. But what a weird, absolutely uh, kind of weird couple of days it was of confusion. Now, Matt, I- I'm wondering, what is your take and, and what do you think the reason truly is for Derek doing this? You know, I think the the biggest thing is maybe more time to get comfortable with this system uh, is one thing that I've heard. And especially with Corbin doing this, too, is maybe both guys want to kind of take some time to, hey, let's let's take a step back and. We'll have the year to basically practice and train and get healthy and then come in next year more familiar. But I'll tell you, scouts are not happy. Um, I didn't even reach out about this because I, I don't think Derek King's an NFL prospect at quarterback necessarily. Sure. So, But I had some people reach out to me 
one guy was so pissed about this. He was like, let me tell you, a play, any player that does this is automatically off this guy's board. Now, the team could still say, hey, we want you to go evaluate Derek King. But this scout told me I would not put him on my board. This, he said it was selfish. He said it was entitled. And that, like, basically, this is the problem with millennials. Now, I don't necessarily agree oh, with this. How old is the this rules scout? are there, right? <laughs> the rules are there for you to take advantage of. Yep. And that's what they're doing. I actually think it's pretty smart. I do, We've too. We've never seen anyone do this. Uh, Kelly Bryant did it last year. He left Clemson, but he left Clemson. He took his red shirt and went to Mizzou. Um, I'm, I think it's kind of brilliant, honestly, on Dana Holgerson's part, on Derek King's part. But um, I had another guy reach out, not quite as scorched earth, but he said maybe this allows Derek King a chance to move to receiver because I know that's where a lot of people see his future. I don't think that's going to happen, but it is interesting to kind of see the mindsets of how the NFL views a situation like this. I hope he plays quarterback next year just because he's an exciting college quarterback to watch as much as, of course, we always, and we're guilty of this more than anyone, getting caught up in a guy's future in the NFL. And I think when you look at it for De'Ara King, I think this would be maybe viewed as a selfish situation if it was a coach on the hot seat. But Dana Holgerson is expected to be at Houston for a very long time. This is the beginning of an era. I could see them working together on this where it's not a selfish uh, situation. It's more just that they're a little bit more hopeful for next year. Right now, they're kind of hitting a little bit of a reset button or putting things on pause. So I have no problem with it at all. Yeah, I don't either. Uh, Another player who's making news, that's Melvin Gordon, who ended his holdout today on Thursday, reported to the Los Angeles Chargers, basically loses $2.2 million. So a sizable chunk of change that he will have a chance to make back. He will be a free agent after this year. The expectation is he will leave the Chargers, uh, will look to, to hit free agency. Hopefully they don't slap the franchise tag on him because they have the ability to do that. But it sounds like this will be an amicable split. They like Austin Eckler. It's a very deep running back class in the 2020 group with Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, Travis Etienne, and those are just the round one guys. In round two, you can talk about you know Cam Akers, Najee Harris, Eno Benjamin, Keyshawn Vaughn, a lot of talented players who could be day two guys. I think it's notable that Melvin Gordon kind of realized that they had called his bullshit, where he was like, nah, yeah. I'm going to bluff. I'm going to hold out. They're like, okay, go ahead. Have fun. Um, it lasted three weeks. Yeah, it didn't work. I think that's the takeaway right here. It did <laughs> right. not. It backfired very quickly. Uh, we had talked about over summer that this was always a little bit of a dangerous game because this wasn't Ezekiel Elliott where a day three rookie was behind him on the roster, even though Tony Pollard looks good. Uh, this was Austin Eckler who has shined when Melvin Gordon's been hurt. Now, to spin this thing kind of forward, the Chargers are a surprising one and two. And that one win was an overtime win against the Colts. Now, things get very easy. They play the Dolphins, Broncos, Steelers, and Titans next. They'll probably turn this thing around. Even if they do, and this offense is funneling through Austin Eckler right now, Matt, do you think there's any chance they can look to move Melvin Gordon at the deadline? Because, yes, if they let him walk, you get a compensatory pick, and it'll probably be a third-round pick. But as I always say, they probably want to speed it up. Phillip Rivers is getting old. The third round pick would be earlier than a compensatory pick. And if just in case you get some desperate teams, maybe you get a second round pick. I'm just saying, is there any chance Melvin Gordon could get moved still at the end of all? Of this? Oh, absolutely. Him reporting means you could trade his ass right now, basically. Yeah. I mean, he, he's reported. He's on the team. You could trade him. The thing is, like, it goes back to what we talked about over the summer. Who would want him? You know, Buffalo's 3-0 and right yeah. now. They have Frank Gore. They have Devin Singletary. Who's hurt? I, I don't know but... if they're a team that would, would be willing to take a flyer on a running back. You know, that the rest of the AFC East, they don't need anyone. NFC North is actually pretty set. AFC South, 
not bad right now. I can't see anyone mortgaging, you know, like you said, a second or third round pick right now to get that guy because we don't have that team at this point that looks like, okay, if they just had a running back, they would be more in contention. Um, So I I think the market would be pretty weak for him right now. Even like the 49ers be the one team where they've lost some superstars, but Matt Breida and Raheem Mostert are getting it done. Yes. So you wouldn't want to trade for a guy because you just really don't need him to get the job done. Man, you know what I always say? You could put me, you, or Melo in Kyle Shanahan's run system, and I think we'd have a chance to maybe even get, I a, try. Maybe even get a, we put a yard or two, a yard or two on we a couple the, of plays. Right. We run the old school wishbone. You and I at tailback, Melo at fullback, and, and we just fucking crush people. I, I think we could do it. Uh, one last thing that we're going to talk about. Shea Patterson is probable against Rutgers. What are the chances he's hurt versus the chances that Jim Harbaugh is just done and has decided he's not good and is going to list him as injured the rest of the year? Because that's my conspiracy. It doesn't matter because it's too late. It's over. So this was always a mistake. We said it was a mistake over summer. Shea Patterson's not very good. I'm sorry, Shea Patterson. Uh, When it comes down to it, this could cost Jim Harbaugh his job because he was a little stubborn with Shea Patterson. Now, I will say this. After going to the game on Saturday, it's not like people were constantly open where I could put it all on Shea Patterson. Yeah. But at the end of the day, he has struggled for quite some time. I think he's held this offense back. They have a lot of talent at wide receiver. I I think Michigan's probably looking to inject some life into this lifeless season. And that's probably why that he's listed as hurt right now, Matt. It's amazing. It's simply amazing. That defense, I know I've said it a couple times on the show now, the defense is just so disappointing. All right, let's take a break. We'll get Mello in here. We'll come back with our top five and college football weekend preview and picks. And don't forget, Blind Review is going to be in segment two this week. I know you guys are all looking forward to it. I love it. it. All right, we are back. Mello is here again. Check us out on YouTube. He's rocking that stick to football polo. Looking good. Bleacher Report YouTube channel every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You'll get new shows. All right, let's jump into week uh, four. NFL Week 5 college football previews and picks. And I'm going to start it with number 12 Penn State is minus 6.5 at Maryland. The over-under in this one, guys, is set at 61.5. And And Connor joined a week late on the picks. He and I are tied at 60%. Mello's at 64%. Show off. I I feel like this week I'm catching your ass, though, because I'm only one game back. I'm taking Penn State in this one. I do not know if they cover, though. That's where I'm at. They really have... This is a Penn State team. I still don't know who they are because they haven't really beat anyone this year. We saw Maryland has been up and down, but we know they can score a lot of points. This is a big game for guys like Micah Parsons at linebacker, but I am taking Penn State, but I would not take them to cover. Yeah, and that's where I think you're right. I'm actually going to go with Maryland. This is our first... Uh, let me get it up here so I say it right. The super underdog Locksmith game of the week to bet your money on because I don't have the nuts to bet my own money on. You are absolutely right about Penn State. They have not been tested by anyone no. yet. They killed Iowa or not Iowa, Idaho. Not even there Iowa. They killed Idaho by 79 and everybody got all excited. But remember, they don't even have a quarterback yet. Sean Clifford has not looked impressive at all. The running game has been hit and miss. Uh, they've They've had some production, but at the same time, You struggled against Illinois. When you're going against Maryland in conference, I really think that this is a trap game for Penn State. If they overlook Maryland because they're not ranked, they're just going to get rolled over. I like Maryland. I like the fact that they have a bye and that Loxley can go get creative on offense. He can come up with some new ways to get their playmakers the ball because the problem is going to be this Penn State defense led by Micah Parsons. They're just unstoppable. 
But with that bye week, both teams have a bye. I think that Josh Jackson, little Booger McFarland can get things going enough to beat Penn State. That's why I'm calling for an upset upset here with our first game. It's a Friday night game, too. So we'll see if that factors. Yeah, in. for me, McFarland might be uh, the guy that's the X factor in this one. I just think his outside speed, can he, you know, those linebackers, obviously Micah Parsons has great speed. Uh, can he break off a big play? Can they get him involved in the passing offense? I think Maryland's offense is really, really impressive. But I'm going to go with Penn State because I do think the defense will finally will shut them down. I think Maryland will finally run into a little bit of a wall here. I do agree with Mello that Penn State has not been tested yet. I feel like we don't know much about this team yet where we could sit here and say, yes, they should be in the top 15. But right now, they haven't lost. They are. And I think this will be a close game. I think that line's pretty big, but I think they sneak out the win. All right, number 18, Virginia at number 10, Notre Dame. Notre Dame's favored by 12 and a half, the over under 48 and a half. Virginia struggled with Old Dominion last week. I think that's one of the big <laughs> Yes, takeaways for did. me here. Now, here's the thing. I also don't know if Notre Dame can stop Bryce Perkins, who not an amazing thrower, but he is their leading rusher. Um, he is able to produce big plays. That Virginia offense has been good. The problem is the Virginia defense uh, has been bad, as has Notre Dame's. Not going to be a defensive struggle in this one, so maybe take the over. I'm picking Notre Dame. I just think they're too talented right now for Virginia. It's going to be fun watching Bryce Hall against Chase Claypool. Who wins that battle? You have two marquee prospects that are going to be matched up out on the outside. But I think Ian Book is just good enough at quarterback. He's not going to turn the ball over. He can do some things with his legs. And Virginia, again, you're struggling against Old Dominion. That's a problem for me. They they are undefeated. They are ranked 18. They beat Florida State. They beat William & Mary. They beat Pitt. And they beat South Carolina in the opener. But those teams are bigger names than they are bigger threats. So I don't believe in Virginia right now. I'm sorry, Chris Long. I love you, but I don't believe in Virginia. Yeah, and I agree with you on this game. I think if Notre Dame wants to stay in that playoff hunt, which I I feel like that locker room probably believes they are still in there with just one loss, you you can't go back-to-back losses. You can't lose to to Virginia here. You only play a couple more ranked teams. One of those teams is Michigan. They might not be ranked when Notre Dame sees them. The other one is USC. They might not be ranked when Notre Dame sees them. So they have to get this now ranked opponent victory here coming off the Georgia loss. Uh, I was impressed by what I saw with Notre Dame, but I also know they're probably going to be pretty beat up after having to deal with the big boys in the SEC. So I'm going to take Notre Dame, but I'm staying away from those points. I'm not touching that 12 and a half. I think Virginia can play them pretty close, uh, but I do think Notre Dame comes out with the win. Yeah, that's a big line. I think uh, FanDuel had opened up at 11, so we've already seen this line all over the place, only getting bigger. I like Notre Dame a lot in this game. It's got a great prospect matchup in this game with Chase Claypool and Bryce Hall if they line up against each other. I think Claypool's been very good this year, very good against Georgia. And once again, Notre Dame, yes, they lost, but they went out on the road against one of the best teams in the country and really gave them everything they had for all four quarters. I think they're playing at a pretty high level right now, and I know Virginia is too. I just don't think Virginia has enough to beat Notre Dame, especially on the road. All right, next game, a big Pac-12 showdown. It's at 2.30 Central Time. I look, I was looking for this game, and I was like, where the fuck is this game? It's at 2.30 Central Time. It's an afternoon game or a morning game if you're on the West Coast. Connor will be at this game, actually, doing some stuff for yes, Bleacher Report. Washington is favored by 10 and a half. The over-unders at 60 and a half. Here's the thing. 
we don't know what to expect from USC's offense because they've not, they're have they on their third quarterback. And Mason Fink did look very, very good last week. He was 21 of 30 for three touchdowns, one interception. He looked good. He looked like, okay, man, they beat Utah. That's a good Utah team. And it was because he just threw the ball to Michael Pittman Jr. Fink should be the starter again this week. It looks like Slovis is out again. I'm excited about the matchup. This is a very good, albeit very young, Washington secondary. Two freshmen at the corner positions. Miles Bryant at strong safety is very, very good. I expect that we'll see some bracket coverage from Elijah Molden over the top of Michael Pittman Jr., I still believe that USC is just an unknown at this point. Having to travel to Seattle, it's a young club. I'm going to pick Washington to win, but I think USC covers. Yeah, and I'm going to agree with you here. I, I have no idea what kind of team we have with USC. They're 3-1 and one right now against some pretty good opponents. BYU, Fresno State, Utah, which is a game I did not think they would win. Uh, but they did, and they've been very good at home so far. The problem with this game is... It's in Seattle, and I don't think many teams can travel up to Washington and take on the Huskies, especially with the way that Jacob Eason has played so far this year. It really looks like that offense has some things going, and if they can get the defense to just slow down USC, who is on their third-string quarterback with Fink, I think that Washington can put up enough points to beat USC. So I agree with you, Matt. Now, I'm taking Washington outright, but I would stay away from the 10.5-point spread again uh, because I do think this is going to be a close game. For teams ranked four spots apart, 10.5 points is pretty disrespectful <laughs> is. for USC. But like you said, this is not an easy place to play. I think Washington has been watching that Utah tape all week and saying, we're not letting that happen to our secondary. And Utah has a lot of players in that secondary. It was kind of shocking how badly they got lit up by Michael Pittman Jr. I don't think Washington is going to lay down like that. I think it's going to be, maybe I'm wrong, I think it'll be a little reality check for USC. I don't think this game will come down to the wire. I do think Washington wins by a touchdown in this one. And all eyes are on Jacob Eason right now because there's been so much conversation around Tua being the best guy, which he is. But then you have Herbert, Fromm, Jordan Love, Joe Burrow, Jacob Eason, is like the horse around the third leg of the race, and you're like, whoa, he was in eighth place, and now he's sneaking up into the top three. I think a lot of eyes are on him as an NFL player right yeah, now. Yeah, absolutely. Is. He had a great week last week. I know a lot of people have been asking us about Jacob Eason. This is this will be a good test for him uh, against a more talented, again, a young USC secondary, but a good matchup. Number 24, K-State. Goes to Stillwater to take on Oklahoma State. The Cowboys are favored minus four and a half, over under at 60 and a half. Oklahoma State last week put up points uh, against our Texas Longhorns, which is not hard to do, but they were able to score. I thought it was most interesting that Texas was able to really shut down Tylen Wallace, uh, who I thought would have a big game. I thought Spencer Sanders and, and Tylen would tear up a young Texas secondary that's dealing with a lot of injuries. They did not. Our guy Chuba Hubbard still went off. So if you're K-State, you're looking at this, okay, we have to stop the run game. Sanders went over 100. Hubbard went over 100. How can we do that? The answer, I don't think they can. So I'm picking Oklahoma State in this one. They are favored, but they're the unranked team in this one. I think with K-State, I know they're changing a lot of things with Bill Snyder now gone. We're seeing a little bit more of an open offense with Gilbert and Thompson. I just don't think they have the offensive firepower to keep up with Oklahoma State. Yeah, and that's where I'm going to agree with you again. I know that's real exciting. But you're, you're right, because Oklahoma State played with Texas, who is a good team. And they were able to score points with him, too. Yes, that's a very young defense. Uh, but 
still, you look at K-State, they haven't played anybody. I think a lot of people want to believe in Bill Snyder and that K-State can be good without him, but I just I haven't seen it yet. I think we're overrating the wins that they have. They struggled with Mississippi State. Not Tommy Stevens in Mississippi State. The freshman quarterback coming into his first game, that Mississippi State. I don't think you can struggle against them and then go into Stillwater and expect the same kind of production. Chuba Hubbard is just going to be too much. So what are you going to do? You load the box against Chuba Hubbard and you say you're not going to rush for 250 today? Okay, congratulations. Now deal with Tylen Wallace. Who do you have that can deal with him? And maybe you bracket him, you take him away. Well, Oklahoma State still has playmakers. And they also have Spencer Sanders who can get it done with his feet. So I do think that this point spread here, I'm taking Oklahoma State. I don't think this one is going to be that close. I would take the spread here, four and a half points. I think Oklahoma State gets it done by a large margin. Yeah, this is a game where I really do like the line here. I'm actually shocked that Vegas almost views them as even. I know usually three points for being obviously at home. So that's still really, really close. And I don't think they are I think it comes down to what both of you said offensive firepower for Oklahoma State maybe this game does reach into that over uh, line of 60 and a half there might be a lot of points in this one there might be a lot of quick scoring but it's pick your poison with this Oklahoma State offense at home and they're going to get it done All right, here is a big one guys the college game day will be at this one number five Ohio State minus 17 at Nebraska over under 66 and a half that's the biggest over under of any game we're previewing this week and guys This is a huge one. Ohio State has been unstoppable so far this year. They've scored 45, 42, 51, and 76 points. Miami of Ohio basically quit last week after scoring five points. Ohio State is a juggernaut. Justin Fields has thrown 13 touchdowns, zero interceptions. He is 66 of 95 for 13 touchdowns. I can't do that on Madden, and Justin Fields is doing it out there. Now, here's the thing. Playing in Lincoln, a night game is going to be a little bit different for Justin Fields. This is not Miami of Ohio. I'm sorry. It's not Indiana. It's not Cincinnati. It's definitely not FAU. The black shirts are going to be rocking. It's going to be red as hell in that stadium. And you know that Scott Frost and a quietly very good Adrian Martinez are going to be ready for this game. I know a lot of people were disappointed. Martinez came out a little slow in week one. He actually has more yards passing than Justin Fields does. Little known fact. And he's getting it done on the ground, already 234 yards. I know all that makes it sound like I'm picking Nebraska. I am not. I'm picking Ohio State, but I think (laughs) Nebraska covers because minus 17 is ridiculous for a home team. I know Ohio State is just smacking folks left and right. The other side of that, they have not been tested. There has been zero adversity for Ohio State. This might be the first time we get to see them struggle. Yeah, and that's what I have in my notes, too. We got to stop agreeing like this. But this game, to me, actually screams Nebraska upset because this is a game where we've seen Ohio State lose before. Look at Purdue. Look at Iowa. Teams that they were supposed to roll on early in the season, but Urban Meyer and that staff could not get it done. So this game really reminds me of one of those trap games where Ohio State's saying, well, we know we're better than Nebraska. We'll just take care of our business here. We'll move on to next week. But I'm telling you, you better focus when it comes to Nebraska because Scott Frost will have that team playing hard. I do think that Ohio State's going to win this game. I agree with you, Matt, when you say you're probably uh, taking Nebraska with the points. I think this is going to be a huge game for Chase Young. 
Adrian Martinez has already been sacked 10 times this year. That line has struggled to protect him, and now you're facing one of the best defensive linemen I've ever seen. I think that by the end of the day, Adrian Martinez is sacked five times. They struggled to move the ball. I like Ohio State big in this one, and it's because of the defense. I think we'll maybe see a little regression from Justin Fields, but this defense is going to get the job done for him. Yeah, across the board, this is one of the best defensive lines in the country, and that is not good news for Nebraska. I know there's a lot of excitement. It's a night game. Nebraska has a special football culture. Uh, Guess what? I don't give a shit if this game was on the moon and Ohio State didn't have helmets. (laughs) They would still win this game by a lot of points. They have too much firepower on offense. Ryan Day is going to go into this game and knowing it's a trap game, knowing they're going to get 200% from Nebraska, it doesn't matter. Ohio State's defense will come out ready. I do think Ohio State's offense will be a little slow in the first two quarters, but at the end of the day, It's too much. Get J.K. Dobbins involved. Get those great wide receivers a lot of looks and targets. And get Justin Fields on the move. I know he's a big quarterback with a big arm, but he can use his legs. Ohio State wins big in this one on the road. Yeah, one thing I'll say about this game before we move on to the blind review, I'm really surprised how little K.J. Hill is getting involved. Like Ohio State needs to get K.J. Hill the ball. Last year, it seemed like Dwayne Haskins had his number. This year, it's just it hasn't been there for the Ohio State offense. I know J.K. Dobbins has just been the man for them so they haven't they haven't had to throw the ball a whole lot but I think he's someone who has to step up this week and Alave has right. just been Chris Alave yep. has been the new Terry there he's been so good by the way can people start crediting us for the nickname I was gonna ask you guys this. did anyone else call him scary Terry before I we did at the so. senior bowl I don't think so and I'm kind of sitting there like wait a minute other people know yes, about this everybody and then other people are like oh he's McLaurin like f1 or whatever and I'm just like, no, that is scary, we, Terry. And that comes and from I'll give Mello credit. He's the first one that said it in the press box in Mobile. And I thought it was hilarious. So I started saying it. And it, it just kind of took off. It became our thing. I think it was me. Oh, but was I'm it? not okay, going to jump my bad, over it. My bad. <laughs> I, I'll give, I think it was Connor, too. But we definitely came up with it on Stick to Football. We made it a thing because of Terry Rozier with the Celtics. And exactly. And we made it into a scary Terry thing here. It, so if you see that nickname floating out there, like... Go ahead and add us. Uh, coast to coast scouting, you can have danger zone. Okay, that that was definitely uh, they did Dan a good Kiefer. job with that. That should catch on. But scary Terry was definitely stick to football. All right, I just wanted to get that off my chest, Connor. Congratulations, that's the best nickname in the NFL. But we want some fucking credit <laughs> for it. Okay, Whew. okay. All right, there we go. All right, blind review time. It's back by popular demand. Philadelphia Eagles, oh, God, one and two. Green Bay Packers, three and zero. Oh. The Packers are favored minus four. Over under 47. But Mello, what happened Thursday night? Uh, Aaron Rodgers is what happened. And he finally started to get going with this offense. We've been waiting for it. The defense has bailed him out in a couple of these games. But we finally see that marquee Aaron Rodgers performance with the three touchdowns, no interceptions this game, able to move around the pocket with his feet. He shows that he's still one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, if the Eagles just had maybe a little bit more production at that receiver position, you can really tell that Carson Wentz was struggling to get the ball in the playmakers' hands. The running game couldn't get going for the Eagles. This is a huge game for the Packers. This solidifies them as one of the top teams in the NFC, I think. And the Eagles, they're going to have to go back to the locker room and figure out what kind of team are they. Are they going to run the ball? Who's their marquee receiver? Who do they get the ball to? It can't just go through Ertz every time. So the Eagles, 
They got a lot of work to do here after a tough loss in Green Bay. It, they do have a lot of work to do. I really thought we would see more Miles Sanders. I thought we would see more Zach Ertz, especially with the Packers. Um, not being super strong at the safety position, but my players in the game, the Smith brothers, that pass rush for the Green Bay Packers, able to get to Carson Wentz, able to affect him. And, and I'll say it, Carson Wentz does not look the same this year. Something, I don't know if it's still the injuries. I, I don't know what's going on, but he does not look the same. They were able to really rattle him. So hats off to the Smith brothers. The Packers go to 4-0. and oh. Yeah, the Packers are just cruising full throttle right now. Jair Alexander may be the best young cornerback in football, and they got Aaron Jones running the ball. They got Jamal Williams, a.k.a. SpongeBob, the merman out there having a good time. And the Eagles, the good, Zach Ertz, classic Zach Ertz game. Nelson Aguilar, no drops. The bad, Miles Sanders, another fumble, and the Eagles still have no pass rush right now. So the Eagles, they got to make good game against the Jets, but damn, you better make good on that game because it is not looking good after Thursday night football. It is impeachment time here at Stick to Football, and I swear to God we will stick to football on this. I will mention (laughs) no one who is currently under investigation for impeachment. I ain't even going to whistle on this segment. We ain't talking about it. But we are going to give you the five people, 15 people, that we would like impeached from sports. I'm going to start at number five, guys. Roger Goodell, got to go. I I think he's gotten better, but still, get out of here, Roger. We want you gone. I I think after this next CBA, we actually see the league push him out a little bit. Number four on my list, I love sports media, and I feel like so proud to be a part of that group, but I don't like Clay Travis. So if we could push him, he's like the guy at our table that's making us not cool. He's like the guy in high school that's like picking on, you know, all the kids and like giving us a bad reputation. That's Clay Travis to sports media. Spreading rumors about other people. Right. Like, get him out of there. He's the mean girl at the table. That's not cool anymore. Get out of here. Go, go tune your Camaro or something, man. Number three, Mark Emmert. I hate the NCAA and everything they say. You could just say that the NCAA, let's just burn it down and start over because they're absolutely terrible. Every decision they make is the wrong decision. Don't do it. Get out of here. Number two, Monday night football. I want a game on Monday night, but just stop. Everything you're doing is not working. The schedule sucks. The booth relationship is not good. Nothing is good about this product other than the fact that it's football on Monday night, and we're going to watch it because we've always watched it, so we're going to keep watching it, but it's not good TV anymore, so let's change it. Let's just completely scrap it, and I know they won't because like ratings are good, so ads are good, but your fucking TV show sucks, so maybe change it because if you can't keep me interested, you're losing your fan base. And I'm telling you, you can't keep me interested. It's it's like The Office after Michael Scott leaves, and you're like, well, I've been watching I this whole it. damn thing. I'm going to keep watching Monday Night Football. That's it's still exact, not a great that's product. exactly it. Or like that show Nashville for me. That's my <laughs> example. Like, they, they change One networks and, like, new showrunners and, like, I'm just, I want to see how it ends. I'm going to watch it. But please, God, let someone change Monday Night Football. And the number one thing that I would impeach from sports, I'm so over the top done with this. The only person that I might like, I don't know anyone I like less than him. Antonio Brown, (laughs) please go the fuck away. I hope Eric Weddle actually puts him in a hole and covers that hole with enough dirt that he can still breathe, but we never hear from him again. I am so done with Antonio Brown. Like, go away, dude. Just stop. Two people, I know you can guess one, that I would like to see lose their Twitter accounts. Antonio Brown is... 1B on that list. <laughs> I, I agree with you. I'm going to run down my five. We'll start with number five. I don't hate everybody on my list, uh, but there are sw- there's one 
and he's just got to go. And that's Chris Berman for what? me. Dude, <laughs> what? What? <laughs> they keep throwing him back in our face. And I'm done with it. Like, let the guy retire. You can't make ESPN Plus happen. We're not going to subscribe to it. Okay, fetch. <laughs> even if you give us Boom and TJ. Like, I'm not paying that money to watch this guy. Just let him retire. He, uh, the home run derby has been bad with him there. Let yeah. Boom go off and retire. Enjoy some drinks. Enjoy some golfing. Let him circle the wagons and ride off exactly. to the sunset. Exactly. I just I don't need to see him anymore. I think this is the second or third time that I've at least heard rumors of oh Sunday night countdown. No, it coming is back. back. I know it is yeah. this time, but just come on, let it let him go. He retired for a reason. I'm sure they throw a lot of money at him and they say, hey, we need you back for this, and he's there. But let the guy live a little bit, okay? Next one for me. It's Danny Cannell. Who is this clown? Like, <laughs> he's only famous for wearing the turtleneck. Nobody gives a shit about his opinions. He's almost always wrong. He gets blasted on Twitter daily. I just, I hate watching his Twitter. I disagree with almost every opinion that he's ever had, I think. So we just, we got to get rid of him. Why do we keep putting a microphone in front of his face? Why do we keep reading the tweets? Get rid of Danny Cannell. The next one hits home for me. It's long overdue. He just needs to retire. He needs to go off into the sunset. Lee Corso is absolutely terrible. Oh, this is controversial. Absolutely terrible on game day. He can barely speak anymore. He gets everything wrong. He's cursed on the air when he's not supposed to. It's not like me sitting here saying, fuck, he's not supposed to do it on national TV. They have the guys like I'll give them credit. We're probably not supposed to. They have a good show there. They have good personalities. It's time to let Lee Corso go. And if he's not going to do it on his own, somebody's going to have to force him out. So I'm impeaching Lee Corso. I used to love him with the headgear and everything, but really, we don't need to see it anymore. That crowd's crowd going to get rowdy without. They, they can do it on their own. Hell, let David Pollock put on some headgear. Like, nobody cares about that anymore. It's just a gimmick. Get Lee Corso out of there. Next guy, since I'm already uh, poking the flames a little bit here, I hate Tony Romo. I cannot stand to watch games with Tony Romo as the broadcaster. One game that I did like to watch him play, or sorry, broadcast, was the Chiefs game. Because he'd be like, all right, two minutes left here. Chiefs are probably just going to bleed the clock. Oh, shit, Pat Mahomes threw another touchdown. (laughs) He said that the Chiefs should bleed the clock, play for the second half here. And the Chiefs scored two more touchdowns in that half. I'm over the predicting it thing you see other guys do it he was just the first one matt hasselback can predict what the defense is doing and what the offense is supposed to on thursday night football like congratulations you played quarterback i'm just kind of over it it's nothing spectacular it it was cool in the beginning awesome but now i'm just kind of over it and the number one guy which i think is going to be a common theme here it's got to be mark emmert in the ncaa that is the absolute worst organization in all of sports, maybe the entire country. They're so stuck in their ways. They're unable to listen to what any of their players want, who they're supposed to be protecting. Uh, the schools, they don't help them out either. I think everybody has just come to a point where we're fed up with the NCAA, and that starts with Mark Emmert. Get some new leadership in there that is at least willing to work with the players, help out the schools. It's a win for everybody, but we got to get rid of Mark Emmer. Yeah, he's got to go. He's got to go. All right, my, my top five. Poor Lee Corso, man. He's just an old man having fun, having some fun out there. Put him in a home. No, number five for me, James Dolan. Yes, he owns two of my favorite teams, the New York Knicks and the New York Rangers. My goodness, is he awful, and he is just an awful person. He's a shitty owner. He's ruined the Knicks for 
God knows how many years. The Rangers have persevered because I believe this man does not give a shit about hockey, even though he owns the team. James Nolan, go play your kazoo and leave us the fuck alone. Number four, Joe Torrey. <laughs> this one will surprise a lot of people. Joe Torrey is from Brooklyn, and he is the spokesperson for the MLB that does not la- let the Mets wear FDNY and NYPD and Port Authority police hats on 9-11. Yep. And they ask him why. And he says, I understand it's an issue, but then it would open the door for other teams to wear whatever they want. It's a uniform issue. But the Houston Astros were allowed to wear Apollo 11 moon landing, moon landing <laughs> memorial hats. And they asked him why. And he goes, well, I thought they only wore it during batting practice. They didn't. They wore it during the fucking game. So the Mets should just wore the hats because clearly a guy that works in a high level job for the MLB is not watching the games. All right. Number three, NCAA <laughs> nonsense. Not going to touch it. You guys did a great job. Number two, a <laughs> Officiating TV analysts. Every time there's a booth review, they bring in a guy that used to be a ref. You recognize his face because you watch football every single Sunday. And he explains why the booth got it right, even though they're always wrong. I don't need an explanation of why it was right when it's always wrong. Stop bringing them in. It's a waste of time during the broadcast. Go back to football. Number one, MLB home plate umpires. They can stand there. They can make the calls at the plate. But guess what? Make it robotic, put an earpiece in their ear, and tell them if it was a ball or strike. Because these guys have no fucking idea what a strike zone is. They're always wrong. This happens every year. And people, for nostalgic reasons, are like, no, the umps need to be human. Let them stand there. Pay them the same salary. I don't care. Just get balls and strikes right. We do not need home plate umps calling pitches anymore. I, I love Connor all riled I know, up on these. Because the I agree with you on like all of them. The Joe Torrey thing, absolutely ridiculous. And then the umpires at home plate. Like, seriously, put it in their ear and just let them say. We don't need any more ump show. I'm with you 100%. I also think it's time to put a fucking laser in a football and not do the first down chains anymore. That's, that's a good one. We've talked about why, because they want the drama of the measurement. This is... I've seen those refs fumble the ball in a team oh, game two yeah. yards. Did you, like, see you know, let me throw you that. The back and forth like, one? Yes, the one right. where the guy's like, oh, shit, which side of my foot did I fucking right. mark this ball with? <laughs> yeah, we'll just give them the extra six yeah, first down. It's a game of inches, but we're going to let fucking 60-year-old guys determine where the ball goes. Need those refs come give me an extra six inches. I would love to be six foot three. All right, let's six foot four. I'd be six four. That's math. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back and knock out some of your questions in draft on draft. It is draft on draft time. First question from at RCM underscore 52. Put a name on your account. My goodness. All right. Is it time to create a new division in college football? Create the FPS playoff subdivision for the power five and keep the FBS for the group of five teams. Team can still play across divisions and conference games. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand. I like it. So what he's saying is... Uh, we have the two divisions right now. We have the bowl subdivision. We have the championship subdivision. I got it. We're not giving anybody outside the power five. So you'd chance. have power five, and then you'd have, like, the mid five. The group of five. Yeah, because yeah. they're not playing in the playoff. Like, but then they would have Dame their own championship. Included. But then they would have their own championship, let them play in some bowl games or some other bullshit like that. No. I, I like it, it because, I really, agree. that's what we're doing already. You might as well just make it a I feel like this is like that second wild card team of baseball. Like, no one gives a shit. Oh, I love it. This is like a participation trophy. I love no one the, cares. If it weren't for the second <laughs> wild card. Other than that. Other than that, that one time. <laughs> a one time it worked. This is like the playing game to the tournament. No one gives a shit about those teams. 
I do. I want to see it because I want to see them match up with each you other. You probably give every kid in your class a B. Like, oh, oh they tried no. hard today. Let me give them a B. I have been religiously watching the Mets standings for that second wild card <laughs> spot for three months. Three months yeah. I've been watching it. <laughs> Yeah, this would this would probably upset some people, but the reality of the situation is it should happen. I think that's a really good point by uh, good old RCM there. Yeah. I just don't want to hand out more trophies. Like, congrats. I mean, everybody's already getting one, though. You know why I don't want it to happen? Just the real reason. I don't want UCF, UCF bragging on the fucking <laughs> I knew title. it was UCF. <laughs> I knew it. I don't. Yeah, but don't. then they could lose, maybe. And then you don't have to worry about them anymore. Yeah, let's or get... they would have to join an actual conference if you want to play with the big dogs. Yeah, well, yeah maybe that would work. That's hey, true. can I go back a segment, Connor? Why <laughs> didn't you have Tom Brady on your top five impeachable people? Because it's just I can't do that act. Okay, I can't do it. I, I no, there's no reason to impeach him just because he beats the Jets and everyone else <laughs> in the world. Like everyone yeah. else, I felt like I had a valid argument of why they suck. But Tom Brady's just great. It sucks, but it's mm-hmm. true. Yeah. All right. Next yep. question. I just like to bounce around. Daniel Reese, if you could go back and reevaluate a prospect you missed on, who would it be? I'm going to let you guys go first. Sure. Um, um, for me, it, it was the Neil Hunter. I did not think he would be this good. And I thought at LSU, he was okay. I didn't think he was a superstar in college. Now he had all the raw traits to develop into a phenomenal pass rusher. And he has. He's a top 10, top five, whatever you want to call it, pass rusher, uh, edge rusher in the league. And I think I just I didn't do a good enough job evaluating the raw traits from a school that uh, has tons of players that are just loaded up with traits that turn into great NFL players. So mine is pretty obvious. Uh, I happen to say that our Lord and Savior, Pat Mahomes, was going to be a bad quarterback. <clears throat> he's okay at that position. I think he's doing all right. So maybe I should go back and look at some of that Texas Tech tape with more of an unbiased eye this time instead of being like, yeah, Red Raider, he sucks. It's a system. As someone who's done that, can I tell you what you'll find? You won't like him. If you go back and watch Texas Tech, you'll actually be like, okay, I still don't get it. He went to the school of Andy Reid for a year. Not And yeah. Pat's traits. So if you go back and watch Tech, you're like, okay, yes, he has a strong arm, and he's a gunslinger, and he's a little bit wild. And, like, that's all there. But Andy Reid took that, took that clay, and made him into, like, the statue of David. I don't think Andy gets enough credit for that. And Pat gets credit for working hard, learning. I mean, to do that in a year is incredible. But... I think Andy deserves it's, a lot it's of credit. It's like Tom Brady and Belichick. Like, those two go hand in hand. Who One who? would not be the other, you know? So I, I agree with you that Pat Mahomes was special. Obviously, we're seeing great talent on the field. But Andy Reid should get some credit, too, because his ability to use Pat Mahomes, develop him the way that he has, has been amazing. But I, either way, I clearly missed on that one. My obvious one would be Trent Richardson, but that's such a fun gag for me that I don't want to change it. Like, I just want—I'm okay with that review. Um I think mine that, God, there's so many because I've been doing this a long time and this job is really hard. I actually was way too high on Teddy Bridgewater. And even like, even if you told me he never got hurt and he played the last three years, he was never going to become what I hoped he would be. You know, like the accuracy and the football IQ, the poise, he had those things, but he's just, he's so physically limited. He was never going to hit that top 10 quarterback tier. He was always going to be an Alex Smith type guy, which is fine. That's a good quarterback, but to have him ahead of Jadavian Clowney or Khalil Mack or Odell in that class was just irresponsibly bad for me. So that's the one where knowing what I know now about quarterback evaluation, I would love to go back and redo, you know, basically all quarterback evaluation 
would be would be fun for me. Uh, all right, next up, Carson Fritchie. Can you give us an insight what you would do with the Bears quarterback situation versus what you think is going to happen? Um, I do weekly radio in Chicago, so this is something I actually have been talking about a lot. And I think the only thing they can do is wait. You just have to wait and see. Mitch was better last week, uh, and I know it was against Washington, so maybe that's hard to have a takeaway about. He has struggled this year. I I think you can look at his accuracy and say it has not been where you would hope it would be in his second year in this Matt Nagy system. I also don't think that it doesn't look like there's a lot of offensive chemistry with this team right now. I know we all want to point the fingers at the quarterback all the time, but I think the O-line, he's been sacked eight times in three games. They deserve some of the credit. The wide receiver core, you can tell they're off at times. The run game hasn't gotten going. That can be pointed a lot of different directions. So I don't think you can do anything. Chase Daniel is your backup. Um, you still don't have a ton of picks. Oakland has your first-round pick because of the Cleo Mack trade. So it's not like you're going to go out and draft a guy in round one. You're really kind of stuck, at least for this season and next and the plan has to be to now build an offense around Mitch that can work. Right, and I think they started that with bringing in David Montgomery, who they're still not utilizing fully, but maybe bringing in some more offensive linemen uh, via free agency or some receivers via the draft. I think you have to surround him with pieces because you can't go all in and say, all right, we're going to draft another quarterback. You've already given up too much to draft and acquire other people on this team like a Khalil Mack. So I think that what I would do is you're probably just going to have to ride it out with him, try to surround him with great pieces, try to get these young guys involved. And, and I actually, I think that's what Chicago will do too. Yeah, I think they just unfortunately have to rely on the guys around him to make plays. And I know that's a tough situation. This is a quarterback that many people believed he would take them to the next level and win them games. I think you're going to have to really rely. You're going to have to get David Montgomery more involved. That is a fact. There is no doubt about that because he is somebody that can create missed tackles and create his own yards. But where's the creativity with Tariq Cohen? Remember the kind of pass catching right. weapon he was guys. And we know how good Allen Robinson is. Hopefully Trey Burton can be the guy that we believe he can. I don't know how much better Mitch himself is going to get, and when you have that with a very promising team, this is a defense that doesn't just stop teams, they score points. You basically just have to pick him up, and that's what the Bears are going to have to do until they can look for a different solution if it doesn't get much better. Yeah, the, And the thing is, this defense is good enough. You're going to win enough ball games that you're probably not going to be in quarterback territory in round no, one. No, they won't you know? be. They will not you're be. Not- so it, it becomes a, a tricky situation. Jeremy Godden, one of the new members of the Stick to Football Hall of Fame, he asked, is there a scenario where we see Tua or Fromm return for their senior year? Something I've been saying for about a month on this show is I think yeah. Fromm will return for his senior year. He does not seem to me like the kind of guy who will come out early. He's not going to get top 10 grades. I, I think he would right now probably get a fringe round one, round two grade. So I think it's a return to school for Fromm. Tua it could happen. He is the number one quarterback in this class with a bullet. I, I don't see anyone catching him. I don't see, I mean, I just can't imagine anyone catching Tua, from my opinion and the opinion of people I've talked to around the league. So I can see Fromm going back, but not Tua. I agree. I could see Fromm coming back and saying, you know what, Tua's gone. Let me see if I can win a national championship or or get an SEC championship at least. Because I do think that that's important to him. I think he's one of those guys that takes pride in, what he's doing at the college level. And I'm sure Tua does as well. But at the same time, I think he's probably eager and ready to move on to the next level. I don't I don't see a f- situation where Tua would ever return. I, I don't know what he has left to prove. I don't think that he's going to say, you know what, I need to come back and win the Heisman. He already has a national championship. So I, I think that he's gone after this year. 
I think so, too. It would be crazy for him to stay. And, and I know how good Alabama is. But at the end of the and two has been hurt before, too. So right. uh, don't risk it. I mean, you're a great player. You're probably a number one pick, at least a top five pick. Go get out, you know, and for from I, I think Matt, you know, Matt has been alluding for a while that it looks like there's a good chance from could stay. Things could always change, but it makes a little more sense because also maybe we'll see Fromm's arm get a little bit stronger as he gets older and goes into his senior year. Maybe that'll improve his stock. And more importantly, if you're a Georgia team, you can convince a couple of guys to stay and go for a natty. Yeah, because I mean, they're close. I think we all believe this is a very talented team. Last question from Nicole Antonio. What's your ideal football Saturday or Sunday look like? For example, she doesn't like red zone or going to bars. She prefers to be home watching two games on two TVs and Buffalo chicken dip is a must. That's a good call. I feel like there you go. There's my perfect Saturday, too. I think it just depends. Like, I really enjoyed watching the Texas Oklahoma State game in a bar Saturday night with all our listeners. Like, that was fun for me. But it. You can't really like watch the game as closely as you would like to. I had to come home and watch the game again on Sunday night because you miss things, um, especially if you're drinking as much as we were drinking. Yeah. So I think like that can be fun. But if I if I could have it my way, it would be 45 degrees outside and overcast. I would be in a hoodie and some warm socks <laughs> under a blanket with a pot of chili, some Fritos, some shredded sharp cheddar cheese, a 12 pack of Boulevard wheat. And I would have two TVs because I think more than that, you you just can't. You're focus not watching on. them, right? After they're just all so you can take a picture for Instagram. Yeah, two TVs, true. one with sound, one muted, and I would actually put one on red zone and one on a game like the game of the week because I do want to know what's happening around the league, but I don't want to like hyper focus. So one for red zone, one for whatever the big game is. Yeah, I I agree with you. I do like to do the two TVs. I think she hit the nail on the head there because you're right. After that, you're really just, you're you're not paying attention to all three. You can't do that. So red zone, yes. Then the game you're watching, whether it's your your team or the game of the week, whatever's going on. I like going to bars too. It's very exciting to watch games with the people who are really invested. Uh, but at the same time, you're right because you can't get into it. You can't hear what's going on as well. So I'm going to say at home as well with the two TVs set up. That's great. Me and Matt grew up together. So our ideal like football watching situation, it's like ideal. It's, I kind of want to go back to mom and dad's house. Right? Like, <laughs> I know the brand of chili you're talking about for Frito pies and stuff like that. Yeah. So I get it. That's probably mine too. I, I think my first college football Saturday will be week eight. So I don't even know what those are like at home anymore. (laughs) They're always on the road, constantly on the road. But Sundays, you guys know this, after tailgate tours, I usually like to fly out at the crack of dawn so I'm home for NFL Sunday. And that's where I like to spend it, at home, on the couch, like you said, two TVs. This month during September, once in a while, we'll get a TV up on the roof. Uh, We'll hook up like a MiFi so the stream is good and good quality. Watch maybe Sunday night football or the late games up there. But like you guys said, get a good pack of beer, have a ton of food out, have red zone on one of the TVs, the main game you want to watch on the other. You could flip around if you need to, but you're not going to be focusing on 50 different things. And honestly, my favorite uh, ways of watching football is being home. And I think the less we're around for that, the more I appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, I know that we sponsor a tour where we go out and we watch football games, <laughs> but football's really good at home. It I is. mean, definitely come out to our tailgate tour spots, but catch some other games at home. It's not a bad deal. Monday, Thursday. Like night for games. our listeners, like come to a game on the tailgate tour when we're in your yeah. city. For us, it's like 
we're at 19 games or whatever. It's like, oh, God, I miss my couch. Uh-huh. I spent a lot of money on that couch, and I, did, I don't ever get to sit on it. But then if you're home too much, you miss being out. It just goes both ways. Exactly. Oh, yeah. And yeah. I hate being alone. Like, I really <laughs> we don't know that. like <laughs> Yeah. I like to be around people, and I, right now I'm craving being alone so bad, and it's never going to happen again. So, uh, well, that's a little peek inside my, my psyche right now. But I think that's a good tweet us uh, or leave your iTunes review. What is your ideal football weekend asset? to football on Twitter. Leave it in the YouTube comments or make it your podcast review. We definitely appreciate those. Connor and I will be back Monday afternoon, I believe. Shake your head if you I'm right, Connor. We'll be back Monday afternoon with a show yes. from the <laughs> studios, not out on the road. And then Wednesday morning, of course, breaking it all down. If you want a mock draft from us next week, let us know. Tell us. Tell us you want it. We'll make it happen. For Connor and Mello, we will talk to you all real soon.